The reading for today is from Acts chapter 10, reading from verse 1, uh, and that's page 1101 in your pew Bible. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I, may I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Again, I like coming up here because I get the tidbits for the celebrations. Sorry, Zeeshan, that's gone. Well, 
yesterday I did something that I have never done in my entire life. Yesterday I stood on the side of a football pitch and watched a live football game and nearly froze. I made the, uh, I made the rash decision uh, about two months ago to Shane and Cullen that when their two teams would meet, uh, I would come and support them, and that was back when the sun was shining and it was a beautiful autumn day and yesterday the Antarctic weather hit, but it was a great day and a great game. Callan's team were victorious, um, but I will say, boys, that I think I'll join you for the Summer League next time, if that's okay. Well, it's good to be back in the book of Acts. Last week you heard about Saul's conversion. Last week, you heard about Saul, who had been persecuting the church, meeting in a radical encounter with the Lord Jesus, turning around his life 180 degrees, and then becoming a promoter of the church. And Jesus declared of Saul that he will be my chosen instrument to proclaim my name among the Gentiles. And so it would be proved to become. Saul came back to Jerusalem and he started to support and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Of course, the Christian believers were very nervous about this persecutor of the church being in the midst. The Jews, Luke records, wanted him dead. And so they were trying to kill Saul. So the believers send him off firstly to Caesarea and then he goes to Tarsus. And at that time, Luke records for us in 931, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So this ebb and flow of persecution and then peace descending on the church and the church expanding and growing is recorded in the book of Acts. This morning we're going to learn how God very deliberately extends his borders beyond Jerusalem and it's actually not Saul that is the agent, it's Peter who is the, Saul, is the agent of this extension of God's church. We learn at the end of chapter 9 in the book of Acts how Peter goes to Joppa and he's performing these incredible miracles. He he heals this man who has been paralyzed and he's been bedridden for eight days and then eight years actually and then one of the more profound miracles described in the book of Acts he raises a woman from the dead Tabitha uh, is is killed and Peter raises her from the dead so this incredible expansion of the kingdom of God beginning to unfold so let's just pause for prayer and then we're going to discover what happens with Cornelius and Peter. Father, we thank you that we can gather in your name this morning. We thank you that we can gather under the truth of your word. And we pray now that you'll take this word that has just been read to us, you'll apply it to our hearts, you'll grant us the faith to respond to this word. We pray that you would humble our proud hearts, that you might strengthen our timid hearts, that you might heal our broken and grieving hearts, that we might know Jesus. In his name and for his glory, we pray. If you haven't already, turn with me to Acts, and I'm reading at the beginning of chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. And he and all his family were devout and God-fearing, 
He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, Caesarea is a town, it's on the coast, and as you can imagine from the name, it is a Roman-dominated town. It's infused with Roman influence, and here we find Cornelius, who is the leader of a regiment, a hundred soldiers in the Roman army, and Luke records some significant things about this man. He records how he's a devout, God-fearing man. Not only is Cornelius devout and God-fearing, his whole family are devout and God-fearing. Luke records how he's generous. He's a giver to the needy. He's a giver to the poor. And significantly, Luke records that he prays regularly, daily. He is a man of prayer. So here we find this Gentile, a Roman officer, a devout man who is seeking after God's But what if that's not enough? What if his devotion at this point is not enough? Well, one day while he is praying, he has a vision. And in that vision, an angel of God comes to him. And interestingly, in the vision, he sees the angel and then the angel speaks. And fearfully, the centurion responds. The angel advises Cornelius that his prayers and his piety have come up to God's as a memorial offering, but it's not enough. His religious piety is not enough. And so the angel gives him the following instructions. The angel answers, your prayers and the gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner who is in the house by the sea. So Cornelius, based in Caesarea, this Roman outpost, is instructed to send servants to this man called Peter and to bring him. And that's exactly what happens. The angel departs and Cornelius calls two of his servants. Luke records he invites a devout soldier to join and the three of them head off with their instructions to bring Peter back to to Cornelius. And they're coming to the town of Joppa, significantly. Now, for those of you who heard Zishan and I preach through the book of Jonah a couple of months ago, you'll recall that it was in the town of Joppa where Jonah's disobedience begins to unfold as he gets on the boat at Joppa. It's the same port land. And just as that story was an account of disobedience, this story is an account of obedience. And so Peter is 30-odd k's away in the town of Joppa, and he is going upstairs on a roof to pray. The, The similarities are striking. He becomes hungry, Luke records. He falls into a trance, and he receives this vision. And it's a shocking vision. For a devout Jew, it is a shocking vision. Let me read to you the vision again that he has. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not I, lords. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The shocking aspect of the vision, of course, for a devout Jew is it's a direct challenge to the Mosaic law. It's a direct challenge to the teaching that Peter had grown up under, 
that this version of these reptiles and animals, clean and unclean, and Peter is instructed to kill and eat, surely not I. Surely not I. I've never done such a thing. And then the word comes to him, don't call anything unclean which God has made clean. And just to make sure that Peter got it, the vision of the smorgasbord of all these different animals and reptiles and birds gets repeated three times, just in case Peter doesn't understand. Now, we might find this type of adherence to dietary laws a little bit unusual for us. But let's be quite clear. Under Mosaic law, God had explicitly defined the food that was clean and unclean. It was very, very clear. In Leviticus 20, 20, we read the following. You must therefore make a distinction between clean and unclean animals, between unclean and clean birds. Do not defile yourselves by any animal or bird or anything that moves along the grounds. This is God's way of saying this is what is holy. He set apart food that is holy. He set apart a land that was holy for the Israelites He set apart apart a people, the Israelites themselves, that are holy. And he had set apart the specific food that they should be eating. Holy unto the Lord. And Peter has lived under this all of his life. He has been faithful to the Mosaic law all of his life. I've never done such a thing. He responds to the word and the vision. But he also realizes that something has shifted. Something has shifted in the life and the calling of Israel. And now this vision of the Lord shows him the rules have changed. The reptiles, the birds, once deemed unclean or impure, are now on the menu. Now, some of you know that my annual treat on my birthday is to have a dozen bluff oysters. I'm very grateful that I'm not an Orthodox Jew, let alone the bacon and eggs that I consume. But Peter has never transgressed this law, he says. He's never transgressed it. And here again, the words that came to him in the vision, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. What is it that makes this food now clean? Well, we're gonna discover that shortly. But Peter is pondering this, this revolution in his theology. It's not an easy thing. He's lived all his life and he's pondering this vision. What is the significance of this? And then the the Holy Spirit comes to him and he says, there's three men downstairs. They're Gentiles. Don't worry about that. Go and see them. I've sent them. And so in obedience, Peter does just that. He goes downstairs. He finds this entourage from Cornelius And they are saying, look, our master needs you to come. And Peter, of course, is not shocked because the Spirit of God has told him that's what's going to happen. They spend the night as they prepare and then they head off to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. Now, remember, for those of you who were here last week, how Saul was converted. And Luke is very, very careful about putting these two conversion stories side by side. Saul the Jew, the persecutor of the church, a devout man here we find in today's reading, Cornelius, a Gentile who was faithful, praying, pious. I wonder who's further from God, you might ask the question. Who's further from God, Saul or Cornelius? Well, Luke records the conversion of Saul 
and Cornelius side by side quite deliberately, and both of them are needing to be converted. So the story continues. Peter arrives back into Cornelius's town. It's about 30 k's from Joppa, and so they take a day and a bit to get there. They arrive at Cornelius's house, and on arriving, Cornelius has gathered a bit of a crowd. His family are there, his friends are there, and they are waiting expectantly for this man of God, for Peter to arrive. And so what happens? Cornelius falls at his feet in reverence, Luke says. And Peter says, stand up. I'm only a man myself. He won't have any of this kind of worship. Peter finds the crowded house. He explains, how, look, I shouldn't be here, you know. This is unlawful for me, a devout Jew, to be mixing with you Gentiles. But he also says, I've been instructed. The Lord has said, I should not be hesitant, and so I've come. And then he asks them, why did you send me? Why did you send me? Cornelius explains his own vision to Peter and God's instructions to draw them together. And then in verse 33, he says the following. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. It's every preacher's dream, you know. The crowd are gathered here. It's just like Hope Church on a Sunday morning. The Lord has sent you to come and we are waiting expectantly for you to hear what God has commanded me to tell you. Well, Peter begins to speak. Realizing that God doesn't show favorites while the Jews were chosen, elected by God, set apart as holy, he realizes that now there is another step that God is taking. He realizes that the whole earth is to experience the glory of God. As he knows from the writings in Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. And Peter proceeds to share one of the clearest accounts of the good news, the gospel in the book of Acts, perhaps in the New Testament. Listen to verse 36 and following. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And as Peter was saying and proclaiming this gospel truth, the Spirit of God fell on the gathering at Cornelius' household. And they began praising God, and they began speaking in tongues, and there was an entourage. There were six Jewish believers that had gone with Peter, and they were shocked. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were seeing Gentiles responding to this message and now the Spirit of God was poured out onto them just as they had experienced on the day of Pentecost. 
And Peter looks around and he said, what's stopping me from baptizing? There is nothing stopping these Gentiles from being incorporated into the household of God. And so they are baptized and they rejoice as the new community of God. The church is pushing over the boundaries of Jerusalem and the Gentiles are welcomed in. What's Luke trying to tell us this morning? What's God trying to tell us this morning in these passages? Well, the first thing I want to acknowledge is at the beginning of Peter's message, he boldly and clearly describes the lordship of Jesus over all. Verse 36, you know the message God has sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. The question I put to you this morning, do you know that message? Do you know that Jesus is Lord of all? Lord of all. Not just your life, not just Hope Church, but he is Lord of all. Do you know that truth? Importantly, has that truth become real for you? Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Firstly, for the Jew and then to the Gentile. He is Lord of all peoples, Peter is saying here. He is Lord of all the nations. He is Lord of all. Secondly, he is Lord of all institutions. He's Lord of the church. He's Lord of your family. He is Lord of the school. He is Lord of the media, of the university, of the government. And you say, hang on a minute, Stu, I'm not sure about that. I can understand that he's Lord of our church. I can understand that he's Lord of my family, but the media, the government, are you sure about that? The message of the gospel of peace, Peter says, through Jesus Christ, is that he is Lord of all. It's so easy for us, like Peter, to be sitting into the old covenant and somehow sitting with two feet in two different camps. But the message of the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ is he is Lord of all. Some of you are still living with old covenant theology where some things are holy and some things are not. Some things are clean and some things are not. He now sits at the right hand of God, ruling his creation, as Abraham Kuyper puts it this way. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. He is Lord of all. Now, is that lordship completely fulfilled right now? No, it's not, but he's still Lord of all. And you and I, as the church, have a part to play in acknowledging that lordship and allowing it to reign. Let me ask you a question to challenge your thinking. The brothel opposite Queen's Gardens, is Jesus Lord of that brothel? The women who are offering their lives, their bodies, physically and sex, is Lord, is he Lord, is Jesus Lord of those women? And you might wrestle with a question, wherever there is wickedness, wherever there is sin, the prince of this world still has dominion, but take note from this word that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and one day he will reign in all of their lives. How did Paul put it in Philippians? After the resurrection, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father and he was given the name above all names that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In the fullness of time, God will reign in every heart if they will bow the knee in repentant faith. 
He is Lord of Jew and the Gentile. He will be Lord of all institutions. He is Lord of all creation, the psalmist puts it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live by it. Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, Luke is reminding us and challenging us to be God-fearing and pious is not enough in the kingdom of God. To be God-fearing and pious is not enough in the kingdom of God. You may have been a Paul, a Saul in your upbringing. You may have trampled on the things of Christ. That was my story and my conversion to faith in Christ was like Saul, 180 degrees turnarounds. But some of you may have grown up in a religious upbringing, a religious home with many religious impulses. You may indeed pray and you may be doing good works. You may be giving generously to the poor. And Luke reminds us this morning that that's not enough that salvation has to come to your households as it did for Cornelius. You know in your head that this external outworking is not all that there is. Something in your heart tells you that something is missing. Let me describe to you now what it is that's missing and how you might go about receiving it. What's missing is the very presence of God. What was missing in Cornelius's life was the very presence of God's. You believe in God, so do the demons of hell. Let me tell you, God has made a way for his presence to fill you, to transform your life, every aspect of your life, so that the lordship of Christ takes root in all of your life. How does that happen? Well, Peter returned back to Jerusalem and he he copped a bit of criticism for welcoming in the Gentiles into the household of gods. And he was explaining what had taken place. He was defending what took place. And he said the following to the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem. He said the following, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them. And as he came on us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift that he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was it, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Do you hear that phrase? God has granted repentance that leads to life. There are four marks of salvation that Luke records here in, these, in this chapter 10 and 11. Faith, repentance, baptism, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And all of them must be present for you to experience the salvation that Cornelius experienced. The trusting faith to believe in the gospel that Jesus has overcome death. The repentant heart which turns away from the fleshly desires that turns away from the world and says yes to God. The Holy Spirit comes when we acknowledge in repentant faith that Jesus is Lord. And then we go through the waters of baptism as JD will do next Sunday night, symbolically and sacramentally acknowledging what God has done. And all of these are present here in Luke's accounts. If any one of them is missing, you experience what God will be offering you. Like Cornelius, you need to move from that place of religious impulse 
for the place where salvation comes to his households, a transformed life. I said earlier that Luke very deliberately records two conversion stories here, the conversion of Saul and the conversion of Cornelius, a Jew and a Gentile, a Jew who is trampling on the church and a Gentile who was pious and devout and yet both needed to be saved. Both needed to have an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus and both did. One in person and one through the proclamation of the gospel through Peter's preaching. A rebel and a religious. Where do you sit this morning? There's a rebel in all of our hearts. Maybe there's religious impulse in all of our hearts, but God would say to you, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And the invitation and the offer that I make to you this morning, have you allowed Jesus Christ to be Lord of all areas of your life? Not just this 60 minutes on a Sunday morning. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your Monday morning? Is Jesus Christ Lord of you in the changing room? Is Jesus Christ Lord of you in the recreation, in your study, in your work? Wherever you go, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? The offer is for us. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Father, we praise you and thank you for the gift of salvation that you hold out to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray and thank you for the gift of repentant faith as we turn away from the flesh, as we turn away from the world as we say yes to you. And I pray for each of us here this morning that you would pour out your Holy Spirit just as you poured out your Holy Spirit on that day at Cornelius's home, that you would minister salvation in this place today. And Lord, as we acknowledge and reflect on the central truth that you are Lord of all of creation, we acknowledge the calling that we have as the church to go into the dark places to shine the light of Christ. We pray that you would enable us for that calling, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that we might be your angels of gospel grace, that we might be your agents of transformation in this dark world. Pour out your spirit, pour out your grace, pour out our truth that we might know the gift of the salvation this day. In Jesus' name and for his glory we pray. Amen.